When Chris was in grade one, he decided to compile a comprehensive list of everyone in his class. There are 23 kids in my class. Their names are Blaine A, Amit B, Robin B, Christopher B, Allison B, Natalie B, Christine B, Sean C, Brian C, JG, and many more. So many more. That's Chris reading a not-quite-complete class list from grade one. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing? It is very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Hamilton, Ontario, we have First Loves, Revenge Poetry, a disastrous production of Cabaret, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand where we came from. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Hewlett Packard Enterprise. At CDW, we get modern servers need to be flexible, flexible, scalable, and predictable. I predicted you'd say that. Okay, what will I say next? Probably something about server security. Impressive and freaky. CDW can implement secure Hewlett Packard Enterprise Gen 10 servers that improve speed and performance while reducing while reducing costs. See predictable. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. I predict a web address. CDW.com slash HPE. I'm in your mind, man. School dances can be some of the most exhilarating and terrifying experiences growing up. They're full of expectation and nerves and budding romance, and there is really nothing quite like a school dance to make or break your self-esteem. When Tanya was in grade seven, she kept a diary, and in it, she wrote about her own self-confidence before and after a school dance. May 13, 1997. Dear Diary, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is that I am now 12 years old. And the bad news is that I am still thought of as an ugly brute. (laughs) Here is why. Today, at the end of school, Christina and I were walking to the bus when we came across Anthony and Michael. I kept walking, but Christina stayed and asked Michael some questions. She asked if he liked me, and he said, no. That's fine. I know he likes Stephanie. Then she asked if he thought I was funny, and both of them said yes. Then she asked if they thought I was pretty, and guess what they said? No. Well, I hope I do get pretty. I have so many pimples, it looks like I have the chicken pox. Gotta go, Tanya. December 19, 1997. Dear Diary, today was like a fairy tale in a dream. (laughs) I had a much music video dance at school. (laughs) I thought I'd be warming the bench during the slow songs, but I guess not. (laughs) 
Well, the first slow song, I sat alone. But Anthony danced the second dance with me. He asked me, so I thought I might as well. We are friends. Or so I thought. I also danced with Sean and Sandro and would have danced with Paul, but the lights came on and the friggin' dance ended after a foot-crushing three and a half hours. I could not believe so many boys wanted to dance with me. I am just plain, ordinary, black jeans, slim fit flare with platforms and a dark blue with light blue pattern t-shirt, Tanya. Anthony asked me out when I was in front of all these grade eights. I still never answered him. He called Laura to ask her if I would go out with him, and I told her to tell him that if after Christmas holidays he still likes me and wants to go out, I'll think about it. <laughs> Here are the songs I dance to with guys. Anthony, Jules' Foolish Games. Sean, Spice Girls, When Two Become One. Sandro, Hanson's Come to You. Rory, I forget. Michael, who cares? Paul, I would have danced, the song is unknown. Anthony asked me to dance to so many songs, but I said no to some because I was too embarrassed to look him in the eye since he asked me out. I don't think I'd go good with him. Aaron would be much better. <laughs> Love always, the lovey-dovey girl, Tanya. P.S. More people ask me to dance than Christina and Stephanie. When Chris was eight, he wrote a short story called The Discovery. Now, this is a fictional story, but it is based on a real person, Roberta Bondar, who was Canada's first female astronaut. Okay, I looked it up, and I guess uh, Roberta Bondar went into space January 1992. So this is February 21st, 1992, and the story is called The Discovery. Chapter 1. They had built a new ship to go out into space. It was called the Discovery. The second Canadian to go into space was on it. Her name was Roberta Bondar. She was launching off. Four, three, two, one, blast off. Well, they are off, said President Bush, but they will be back in one week. Come on back the White House, he said to his driver. <laughs> Chapter two. Roberta was eating a space yogurt when she, heard someone, when she heard someone call her name. Roberta, Roberta, help! She ran to the front of the ship. It was on fire. Chapter three. Everyone got in their spacesuits and Roberta got to Earth safely, but the other astronauts were still in space. I have to get them, said Roberta. Everyone told her not to, but she just pushed up into space. <laughs> okay, chapter four. Soon, Roberta returned pulling two men. 
Then two more men, and two more. Six, said the president. That really proves that a woman is just as equal as a man. It does. A big part of growing up is learning to understand and control your emotions. Now, the hard part about this, of course, is that when you're a teenager, your emotions are at an all-time high. When Brienne was in seventh grade, she kept a diary. And at our Hamilton show, she shared an excerpt about a day when she lost her temper. Please welcome Brienne to our stage. A quick heads up, Brienne wrote this when she was very, very angry, and she uses some cuss words, which we do not bleep. January 13, Thursday after school, 3.57 and 43 seconds p.m. (laughs) Dear book, I... I hate... Taylor Zed. Taylor Zed is the biggest bitchy fucking bastard. Stupid, ugly son of a bitch. I hate him. <laughs> I don't know why I was such a spaz today. I feel like a brat. Something was just keeping me so stressed this morning. I felt so impatient. I just couldn't take any more of something, whatever that is. But okay, I know Alex is only teasing even if I get mad and lose my temper with him but Taylor Zed is for real. (laughs) Taylor Zed just kept saying stuff to me, and I don't know, I like, shit, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was right about the scream when Alex just had to throw a wet ball of tissue at my head. That's when I really got pissed. I tried to be calm. I really tried. I stood up. Alex started running away. I went after him and grabbed him and pounded him with just enough strength to hurt him, but not too much. (laughs) But then when I was done, I walked back to my desk, and on the way there, Taylor Zed stuck his foot out trying to trip me. I stepped over because I was walking really normally, like I hadn't seen his foot there. Then when I got over, I turned around and kicked him with all my strength. I sat down, and Tamara came over going, ha ha, you beat him. I was breathing heavily because I was so mad, and I just broke down. I was sobbing and crying so hard. Everyone was asking, Brianna, are you okay? And what did they say to you? And I just kept saying, it's not them. It was just on top of everything. Mr. Mons came back into the classroom and set me down and made me go to the bathroom to calm down. I swear, if Tamara hadn't come to school that day, or if I had never known her, I would have just gone home. Tamara is the greatest person in the world. I owe her a lot. I pray she ends up with Colton. Or, if she doesn't like him anymore, I hope she will be with the second, with the nicest guy ever. I hope she has a wonderful life, and everything provided for, and I can't say it all, but I'm fully in her debt. Gotta go. To be continued. Good night. Grown-ups read things they wrote as kids would like to remind you that violence is not the answer. (laughs) Brienne wasn't the only reader at our Hamilton show who was upset when someone at school picked on her. 
When Jody was in grade nine, a girl at school tripped her during the first week of class. But instead of getting mad, Jody decided to express her anger in poem form. Live on stage in Hamilton, here's Jody reading two poems she wrote at 14 years old, starting with the one about the girl who tripped her. It's called Wounded. <laughs> she once was a beautiful goddess with golden curls surrounding her tiny porcelain face. Now she's known as the old bitch with the cats. She once was envied for her sing-song voice, her ocean blue eyes. People would crowd around her, dying to speak to her just once. Now she reeks of urine. While others would walk, she would dance past the people who would stare, amazed by her innocence and beautifulness. Now she limps, for she has been wounded. Oh, they loved her. Yes, she knew. She still rejected and refused. Now she suffers. Now her time has come. Her time for consequence. She has not one person in the world to turn to. Just cats. People hate her for what she has done. Does she deserve it? Who knows? No one to ask. They are afraid like they always have been. They are afraid for she is sad, looking for people who used to love her, who used to care. There were too many people for her to hate, to laugh at, to taunt. Too many people who loved, envied, committed. She is afraid. She is alone. She is wounded. This is called Strange Creature. I am a strange creature that you think you're not. You have reason to fear me. You just have forgot. What do I think as I sit still of swallowing my pride as if it's a pill? You could be thinking that you're not the same, but you are the one who plays life like a game. We are the ones who try to be but the best. You are the ones who think you must rest. <laughs> if you are thinking my kind is unique, we are the ones who stand as antique. We are the ones who think we know what to say when our lives are controlled by the time of the day. We are the ones who judge just by sight. What other people think of us, we do fright. Living with many stupid expectations, such as using violence to solve situations. <laughs> we destroy our homes, eat the ones who care, for they are not like us, so we do not care. If you find my point simply amusing, I think that my kind is just plain confusing. Now that you wonder what I really am, I'm just like you, another careless human. Jody, ladies and gentlemen. 
bringing some revenge poetry to the grown-ups who thinks they wrote as kids stage. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Most of the people who get up on our stage are not performers. And for me, that's a big part of the charm of the show. But when our next reader, Adam, was 18, he was a performer. That year, Adam was part of a production of the stage musical Cabaret. Now, Adam didn't have a big role in the show. He was an understudy, so he never got the spotlight. And after the production wrapped, Adam wrote a diary entry, recapping the whole thing, which he now describes as disastrous. A quick heads up, Adam's diary does include some cuss words, which we do not bleep. August 15th, this diary entry is titled, It's so hard to be attractive. Or, life is a cabaret. (laughs) Last night, it was the last show and the cast party for Cabaret, a musical I have somehow been the understudy for. Understudy, not actor. So, I had the pain of memorizing lines combined with the joy of going on stage and saying nothing. And for Cabaret, no less. The play's a disaster. As evidenced, by uh, dancers deciding to improvise on opening night by going out into the audience and soliciting them for coke. (laughs) The play recovers, if only slightly, when hair director loses his shit and improv is forever banned from the stage, as it should be from life. All right, so the cast are not pros, save for Terry and Carol, uh, the only older ladies in the cast. They didn't come to the after party. Wise move. Seems I'm not the only one with sexual frustration. Tammy, our lead, makes a move on Justin, our other lead. But it turns out he was just flirting to be nice for the entire show. (laughs) Tammy does what any sane person would do in her position and pours a bucket of ice down her dress and asks why no one will fuck her. I'm tempted to say, I would, but decide against it. A rare good call on my part. As dad would say, good job, Adam. Tammy leaves. The party is silent, save for the sound of Justin tiptoeing out. He begins to cry as he leaves, telling hair director how he feels sorry. Not for Tammy, but for himself. This always happens to me, Justin says, a little too loudly. Seems women always throw themselves at him. But he's already got a girlfriend, and isn't that sad? Oh, it's so hard to be attractive. It must be so hard to flirt with some lady and then say, just kidding, after two months of rehearsals. 
My heart bleeds for you, pretty boy. <laughs> Meanwhile, I paid for phone sex for the first time this week. It was okay. <laughs> Luckily, after the cast goes home, I'm offered a joint by the two stage managers. Both of them are kind of cool. It's at this point that one of the SMs, Greg, a soft-spoken gay boy with a lazy eye, tells me I should wear more form-fitting clothes and asks for my number, not in that order. I want to tell him I'm straight, but what would an attractive person do? I should probably lead him on for two months, or at least until the weed runs out. <laughs> oh, thank you. Sometimes the things we wrote as kids can feel distant. The difference between then and now can be so striking that it seems like the kid who wrote it and the adult who reads it are entirely different people. But other times, the things we wrote as kids foreshadow who we're going to become, sometimes in an almost eerie way. Our next reader, Ryan, brought along two short pieces of writing. We're going to hear something he wrote in grade two entitled... The whole class goes scuba diving. <laughs> and we're also going to hear a series of summaries that Ryan wrote in grade five. These are summaries of game shows. Please welcome to the Grown Up Street Things They Wrote as Kids stage, Ryan. April 22nd, 1986, the whole class going scuba diving. One day, Mrs. Paul said, class, would you like to go scuba diving? Then they all said, yes. They said that because they knew how to. <laughs> then the next day, they went to the ocean to scuba dive. They scuba dived and they went back to school. It was Friday, it was time to go home. Then the next day, the whole class went scuba diving. Then the next day, they went scuba diving again. Then the next day, they played a game on the computer called Spell Diver. The end. <laughs> April 20th, 1989. This is when I was in grade five. Today on Funhouse, they made giant Oreos. In the Funhouse, they got a color TV and $100 in cash. I really enjoyed it today. <laughs> April 24th. Today in the Funhouse, they got a bicycle in Tiny's room a hot springs vacation in the condor's nest, a live band party in the swamp, a musical keyboard in the bat cave, and $200 in cash. April 26. Today, we are doing the fitness improvement challenge. In the funhouse, in the shower room, the doors wouldn't open, and the kid used up a lot of time trying to find the door that would open, so they gave him 25 extra seconds to get more stuff. April 27, 1989. Yesterday, Mom and Dad said that we were moving to Ingleside, Ontario. 
In the fun house, they got a, a bicycle, a musical keyboard, a movie studio party, and $400 in cash. Mom and dad are going to buy me fun house in the States. Thank you. Do you want to know something crazy? Today, Ryan is a scuba instructor and has appeared on eight television game shows. One more time for Ryan. When Elise was 13, she started dating her very first boyfriend. And she wrote about him in her diary. And when I asked her to describe these diary entries, she said, they're horrifying. Please welcome to our stage, Elise. I have sort of a dilemma. Eric Attard, who I've liked since grade three, has decided he likes me too. A little late, eh? But he's also a playa. He hurt me. <laughs> He hurt both Katie and Ashley with his drugs, and maybe he just likes me because of my looks. That's what Rand said. But then he sent me the cutest and cheesiest letter ever. He said I was smart, funny, good to be around, and had a natural beauty that he loved. Can you say awe? But it just doesn't sound like him. I also think he still likes Shannon. I told him I would give him an answer tomorrow, actually today, but he never asked me. Maybe he's sorry he ever asked me, and now he hates me. Ah! Well, the second part of this is... <laughs> is that I found out another guy like likes me too. My life sucks. <laughs> Please, Lord, let me be able to go out with both of them and have a long and happy relationship. <laughs> well, I am going out with Eric. I was so sure he was going to forget about me, but no. We were in the middle of French class. We were playing baseball. Both of us were in the outfield. He's like, so, you got your answer yet? So I'm like, Alicia thinks I should give you a chance. So I will. Then he says that things will be awkward for a while. And then he asked me if I've made out before. This makes me suspicious. <laughs> Miranda thinks that he only wants action from me, but if he wanted action, he could always go out with Katie. <laughs> And Alicia said that she told him he wasn't going to get action from me so soon. And he said he would wait. On the sweeter side of things, we have a song. You know that song from Titanic, My Heart That Goes On? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was random. He was like, you know that song from Titanic? And I'm like, no, I hate that movie. It's, <laughs> it's historically inaccurate. <laughs> I know I'm lame, shoot me now. And then he started singing it, and I'm like, oh, I know that song. And then he's like, that can be our song if you want. <laughs> uh, how can life be so confusing? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. 
That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live in Hamilton, Ontario, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme music is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Olivia Nashmi is our intern. If all of this sounds like fun to you, why not be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids event? We have an upcoming show in Montreal with many more to announce soon. For all of the details or to sign up for our email newsletter, visit our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. Or even easier, use the link in the show notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.